when you call upon the Lord, He will answer you. And He's the one that showed me the needs of women and that the resources that He's given us, especially in this country, need to be poured out around the world. So when you look at the impact we can have as women, it's huge. Welcome to this week's edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest this week is the founder of an organization that seeks to come to the aid of women and children in Africa. We'll talk with Vicki Waterbeck today. But just before I introduce you to Vicki, I want to encourage you to take a moment and visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. There you can follow links to learn more about today's guest and all that's being done to provide help in several African nations. Plus, there's a calendar of guests and topics coming up in the weeks ahead and an audio archive of every interview that you can hear on First Person. Once again, we're found at firstpersoninterview.com. Vicki Waterlick and those who volunteer with her at Hands of Hope work to raise community awareness and provide resources to women and children that offer education, address health concerns, and provide the tools and resources for women to be economically self-sustaining. They open doors of opportunity for health and development that otherwise are not available. And I invited Vicki to sit down in the studio with me and tell me her story. I was the director of women's ministries at a, in our local church, the Village Church of Barrington. And I was driven by the feeling that women could do so much more than really what we were challenged to do. So a few months after I took the position, we went to Nigeria to visit a um, a doctor who grew up in Barrington who was um, on a mission trip with her husband who was also a doctor. And she was doing the surgical repair of young women who had been um, married off as young as 11 and then impregnated and then through the birthing process of trying to deliver a a baby when your body hasn't really developed enough to do so, um, the girls would either die, they would uh, deliver a dead baby, but as a result of that, they would leak urine or fecal matter. Sometimes they were paralyzed. And in the context of African village life, the value of a woman is her ability to raise, to bear children and to raise children. So now this woman has no value and they're outcasts. And they, there are estimates that in Nigeria at the time that I went, there were a quarter of a million women roaming around in the fields with this condition. Hmm. So that's what we went to see. And when you saw it, I mean, your heart goes out to them, but did you feel called or moved in any way to be a solution to any of that? Well, when I saw it uh, and I saw these beautiful young girls, I immediately thought about this could be my daughter. And then something clicked inside of me and a bit of an outrage that we could live life in the United States and not be aware of these issues. Um, And I thought, I'm going back and I'm going to tell women in our community what is going on. And I had confidence that the women in our community would want to do something. Did they? They did. Not everybody, but the ones that did were passionate about it, and um, we didn't know what we were doing, but we just kept going anyway, and eventually we figured out what to do. And What uh, were some of the first things that you did in response? The first thing we did after we began to tell the women and decide to do something is we had an event, and uh, we didn't really know what we did, what to do, but we just did it with a lot of enthusiasm and uh, passion. And after our first event, we had raised $70,000. 
and uh, people were amazed. And uh, so we we built a 50-bed hostel at the clinic where these women were being operated on. And, and, and then eventually we also raised funds for some vocational training for the girls that were repaired that could do something with mm-hmm. their lives. Take me to those uh, trips. I'm, I'm sure you've had many trips since mm-hmm. that time, but talk to me about those trips and what you learn and tell me about the, the people that you meet and the needs that are there. It's been a journey. We really didn't know what to expect. And I, I liken it to understanding poverty and some of these issues to an onion that you have to peel. You get one layer off and you find something else. Mm-hmm. And then you take that layer off and, and we're still peeling. For example, one, one, one layer of the onion was when we were in um, Zambia and uh, we had a Jatropha uh, project, which is a, a plant that uh, produces biofuel. And the people in the village had made little bars of soap. And they, were, they brought a little pan over and a little bar of soap and, and a rag. And they were showing me how, to, how they scrub the, the rag with the, the soap and how they clean it. And I thought, well, yeah, I know how to do We all know how to do that. <laughs> and then I realized this is the first time they've had soap. Wow. And so the, the layers of poverty there are like that. They're stunning. You're still helping these young women today, but it's it's gone far beyond that, hasn't it? Tell me about some of the other things that you're doing. Well, we went from Nigeria, and we were about four years off of the Rwandan genocide, and Nigeria was an awakening. And so I thought, well, what else is going on here? What have we missed? What have I slept through? What did I watch on the news? And then turned the TV off and went up to bed to have a, a sound sleep. What What's really going on? And so we went to Rwanda, and there we visited with women who had been used as weapons of war and left for dead, who had survived, now had, because of gang rapes, were dying from AIDS. We saw extreme poverty. Um, We met with a group of women, about 200 women, that had gathered who were desperate for food for the day and would do anything. They'd sell themselves. They'd do whatever it would take to um, feed their children. And uh, so we, we were stunned by it and um, learned the value of microfinance loans and how a, a small loan to a, a woman that has no resources at all could change her life. Um, and what do they do with the money? And are we talking... A few dollars, a few hundred dollars. What's what's a typical microfinance? Fifty dollars. Fifty. Fifty dollars. And what does that enable them to do? Start a business. What sewing? Help Uh, them buy seeds, so they can grow tomatoes and sell sell tomatoes at at the market. Um, We we went to Rwanda with World Relief, and that was where I was really introduced to microfinance loans. We met with a group of women in um, Rungiri. They had suffered greatly because of the genocide. They had fallen out of favor with the president before the genocide. And so these were the desperate women. And um, when we saw their desperation, uh, our group really pressured World Relief to find a way to feed them for three months until we could go back and have another fundraising event. And then World Relief had a matching grant with USAID for $50,000 for AIDS education, they had a 12-for-1 grant. And for a microfinance loan, they had a 4-for-1 grant. 
We went home, raised $100,000, and tripped off $800,000 to go in and help those those women. Mm-hmm. We came back three years later, and it was a totally different scene. The women had their hair braided. They had cell phones. They sashayed in. They were business women. Uh, one woman was uh, seamstress. She had five or six women working for her. They were making wedding dresses. Another lady was flying to Germany to buy leather goods and bringing it back. I was amazed. But the best thing was I was able to tell them that three years ago, we came and saw them and saw the crisis. And we went back and and I told the women in our community and we raised funds so that they could have these microfinance loans. And that way they knew that there were people in another part of the world that cared about them, that 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 felt their pain enough to, to go into action to do something. Mm-hmm. And it really brought us together. At what point did you decide to start Hands of Hope? Immediately. Uh, with our first fundraising uh, efforts, we had to form a 501c3. I mean, we were moving so fast. Um, so we formed... Um, hands of Hope immediately so that we could raise funds. But that's no small task. Well, we had a big group of women, and like I said, and there were, I have to say, there were a a lot of men that were our champions, and we couldn't have done it without Hmm. our men friends. We were driven by passion, and we we did what it would take. We weren't going to stop. And, And when I went into women's ministries, I thought, okay, how far can we go? Well, maybe we're not challenged enough in our local churches, or maybe we're not encouraged enough by one another. I did learn a couple of things on this path, and and one of them is that whatever you believe about a woman's role in the church, God has called women to minister to women and children. That is three-quarters of the world. Hmm. And God showed me um, this himself. I mean, I don't want to sound, you know, flaky, but when you call upon the Lord, he will answer you. And he's the one that showed me the needs of women and that the resources that he's given us, especially in this country, need to be poured out around the world. And so when you look at the impact we can have as women, it's huge. More from today's guest, Vicki Waterdick, and Hands of Hope coming up on this edition of First Person. Next week on First Person, we'll talk with the grandson of Billy Graham, Pastor Tullian Davidjian. As much as we hate suffering, as much as we hate pain, as much as we hate anxiety, oftentimes those are great reminders to us that we are small and God is big, that God is God and we are not, and that's ultimately what sets us free. Tullian Tavidjan is the author of Glorious Ruin, Suffering That Sets You Free, and we'll talk with him next time on First Person. Let's continue today's conversation with Vicki Waterlick of Hands of Hope, which has been around for about 13 years. I asked Vicki to explain what's going on right now with Hands of Hope as they serve in Africa. Well, after about five years of working on projects and sort of on this journey, we went from Rwanda, did some work in Burundi, um, funded some microfinances and loans in Congo, and then I met the First Lady of Uganda. And um, went there, saw what she was doing. I love Henry Blackaby. He's one that says, look around and see what God is doing and then join him. And I really saw God doing a lot through the First Lady. So we joined um, with her and did some efforts. It was kind of a girl thing. 
And her experience was that a lot of organizations come in and try to help the people. But we were the first organization that came in and said, hey, you're doing great things. You know, we're women trying to help women and children. You know your people better than we do. What can we do to help you? And so we worked with her. And then a few years later, uh, the Zambian ambassador to the U.S. invited us to come to Zambia. We actually went back there a few times, and I got to, to meet her family. Her father was the king of the western province. Actually, it was northern Rhodesia at the time. And her grandfather was also a king, and he welcomed David Livingston into the land as a young, a young man. Wow. And so they have, um, they have, you know, quite a heritage of walking with the Lord and and caring for their their nation. But now um, in the Western Province, because of probably political reasons, they have really been suffering. And while Zambia is one of the poorest nations in in Africa, the Western Province is the poorest province. Once we met the people, once we saw the issues, we began to think differently. And we said, you know, Africa, you could do projects in Africa forever and ever and ever. And while they do have impact, they don't have as much impact as they could have if you dealt with all the issues of poverty. So if you think of poverty, we talk about the cycle of poverty. I did a little study on what the cycle of poverty was, and, um, and it goes something like this. If, you, if water isn't accessible and you have to send someone out for water, and it's five miles round trip three times a day for water. Obviously, if you're a mother, you can't work. If you're a child, you can't go to school. If the source of water is polluted, the father you're all sick, the father can't work. And, and so water was one of the main issues. If you build a school and you don't have water, uh, your child isn't going to go to school because there's no water. So we, we looked at it all and said, okay, we need to do economic development first. Economic development will take the edge off of the crisis. When you take the edge of the crisis off of parents, they begin to think like parents instead of how do we feed our mm-hmm. children. They're just in survival mode otherwise, right. aren't they? Yeah. So they're just reacting. But as soon as they can provide for their children, they're just like us. They want their children to have a better life. So we went to World Relief, and because in World Relief, the project I saw in Rwanda was actually award-winning. When Laura Bush took her daughters and they went to see the World Relief's work in Rwanda, it was the microfinance projects that they saw. And so I went to World Relief, and I said, we'd like you to do a, a microfinance program in Zambia. And they they smiled and uh, they said, well, you know, we have these other projects. And I could understand that, but I kept after them for two years and they finally saw it my way. <laughs> so You're persistent of nothing persistent. else, right? <laughs> and so what we did with our relationship with World Relief was we said, okay, we will fund a microfinance loan and we'll, we'll build the portfolio and we'll work really hard. But then when we want to do schools or dig wells or put up medical clinics. We want the staff to oversee what we're doing. And that was our agreement. And so we've been there five years, and we have a, a very nicely, a nice micro, 
finance uh, loan portfolio. And um, and do these loans get repaid? They do. They're, they're, they're and, not grants. They're they're not gifts. And what what is the purpose of asking them to be repaid? Because uh, what you really want to do in a community is unleash the can-do spirit in people. And if you keep giving, it's our welfare system. If you keep giving people things, they just expect to get things, and they have no initiative then. So we have even found that even in the Western province, in areas where big organizations have come in and have given too much away, there isn't the same energy, there isn't the same initiative as if you go into the far-reaching communities where they've never had help. Those people are energized to make a difference. It, it lends to personal dignity, too. Absolutely. And uh, we just came back from Zambia um, last August, and there we visited a community a year ago when we were there. This community had to walk five, five miles each way for water. And when they got there, they shared the water with the animals. So, you know, it was polluted water. The children had to walk five miles each way to school. So most of the children didn't go to school. And the health clinic was 12 and a half miles away. And women and children have died on the path trying to get help. And they basically said, we feel like we're forsaken. Well, we put in four wells in the community we mobilized the, uh, the men of the community to make bricks with a diesel-run uh, brick-making machine that we purchased. And this past August, we dedicated a, a new school and a medical clinic. And the community was wild. <laughs> we introduced um, loan programs for the community People are paying their money back way before it's due, getting more loans, and the community has come alive. So they've gone from forsaken to, I tell them, they are blessed and highly favored (laughs) and beloved of God. When you look back over your life, and this has been the last, I think you said 13 years that you've been involved with Hands of Hope. When you look back on how God shaped you and called you and brought you to himself in the first place. Is this, is this kind of surreal to you that you're being used in this way? Sometimes I think God had to keep me busy so I wouldn't cause trouble. <laughs> so he gave me something bigger than... <laughs> let's keep her busy over here. Huh? <laughs> yeah, let's keep her busy. Let's keep her out of... But, um, but you I... must see how he prepared you, the gifts that you have, the, the influence that you have, the, your ability to organize people. And... I wouldn't have known that any of that existed until God called me there. Once I knew this is what he wanted me to do, I knew he would provide what I needed. And we should all start out when we're serving the Lord, feeling like we can't do anything unless he does it for us. Yeah. And I still feel that way about it. I don't feel, I'm, I'm basically a girl that grew up in the south side of the city of Chicago that really didn't fit into the suburbs that, we moved into, and um, really didn't know how to do anything. I, I became a Christian when I was a year before I married my husband, so I really didn't know how to act, <laughs> how to be. I wasn't part of that. But you see, culture. even that I view as preparation because you have this boldness about you, and you you have this persistence about you that that's actually very refreshing. And sometimes it takes that in ministry to get things done. Well, on the south side of Chicago. When I grew up, 
you grew up with the Irish and you grew up with Jewish people. And the Irish were fighters and <laughs> Jewish people, you, they just knew how to do everything. And um, so I look at it, even though back then I really didn't even feel part of that, but I learned a lot growing up in those communities. And, um, and I, lo- I love the people I grew up with. And, um, and I love the women in our community today that have really done this. The Hands of Hope is really the sum total of all the efforts mm-hmm. of the women that have given their lives for this. Mm. What's the current or upcoming project that really excites you right now? We are um, continually raising funds for the loan portfolio. And we're going to continue with water. We're going to continue with schools. We have a, a relationship with the Ministry of Education. Um, so they bring in the teachers. Actually, Zambia has dedicated itself to the Lord. It's a, it is a hmm. Christian nation. And you work hand-in-hand hand with government officials then. You we don't do. just blow into town and do what you do apart from uh, working right closely with them. We have a director um, who deals with, with the, the leadership there. He's a Zambian. And I feel that it's really important that he would be the front person. It just builds up. Uh, the organization and the eyes of the uh, of the people to know that it's Zambian led, and um, he does a lot of the initiatives. When we go there, of course, we meet with people, and uh, and and so we have found favor with the people, and with loans. When you just give out loans and people don't pay back, it's easy to get a bad name. But you know when you're going after somebody. But when for every person that would say. They, they did this or they did that, and look what they've done. There's thousands of people that will say, look what they did with the schools, and look what they did with This is a great organization. Mm-hmm. And so the holistic um, strategy that we have has been really great. Mm-hmm. And I think someday soon we, we may go into another area, maybe even another country, and do it again. You love doing this, don't you? I do. I love it. It's perfect for me. I don't know why, but it is. Um, it, it makes me... It, it makes me happy to see the people doing things for themselves. And um, I love cheering them on. And um, I love empowering people. And I love empowering the women in our own community and cheering them on. And I also love sharing my faith. You'll want to learn more about the organization that Vicki Waterlick and all the other volunteers are working so hard at to provide help and hope to women and children in Africa. Once again, it's called Hands of Hope, and we've placed links to their website at firstpersoninterview.com. Their efforts open doors of opportunity to women and children who want the same things we all value, health, safety, the ability to make a living, and provide a viable future for our loved ones. Visit firstpersoninterview.com and learn more about Hands of Hope. And if you'd like to listen to today's conversation again or share it with someone else, we've set up an audio archive on our website where you can listen to any conversation. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the listen button for the complete list of interviews. And then if you'd like to leave a message or interact with other listeners, please visit our Facebook page set up for that purpose. It's facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Next week, our guest will be the grandson of Billy Graham, Pastor Tullian Tavidjan and his new book, Glorious Ruin. You'll meet him next time. Now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We'll see you next week on First Person. First Person.